So I want to ask you a question. And the question is this, is, is if your money could have a heart-to-heart talk with you, just kind of sit down with you and have a heart-to-talk, heart-talk, do you ever wonder what it would tell you? I mean, what would Ben Franklin say to us if he could talk? I doubt that you or I would be shocked because we already kind of know. You see, if the Benjamins started talking to us, our response would be somewhere along the lines of, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I I should have known. I I know that's what I should have done with you. I know that's what I shouldn't have done with you. I know, I know. Now, the shocker and the pleasant surprise is, is the parallel between what our money would say if it could talk and what Jesus did say when he did talk. In fact, some of you may know this, but Jesus talked more about our money and our possessions than he did about heaven. Uh, in his parables, which there are about 38 of them, 16 of them were on the topic of money and possessions. But the interesting thing is this, is that even though Jesus talked about money all the time, he never asked for any money. Some of you are sitting there going, no, false, false, Chris. Okay, fine, fine. One time he asked for a coin to use in an illustration, right? Okay, I got that. And, you know, all indications are he gave it back. So what was he up to? Well, what you and I discover is that when we read the Gospels, when it comes to money and possessions, Jesus was after something. But it turns out he wasn't after our money. He wasn't after anybody's money. So if your money started talking, what would the Benjamins say? Well, Ben would certainly tell us. He would say, hey, if I can add, I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. Ben would also tell us, I am a much better means than an end. I'm a much better means than an end. In fact, if you make money your end, you may end up alone. But using money as a means to an end is what makes money meaningful. In fact, think about that. It's true of your own life as well. If you, think about this, if you want to live a meaningful life, you have to figure out how to become a means to an end that's not you, right? I mean, you have to be a means to an end that goes beyond you in order for your life to be a meaningful life. And so here's what we're going to discover. When you decide, all right, I'm going to be a means to an end, you will begin to view all of your money, all of your resources, all of your net worth. You will begin to view this as a tool. And that's exactly what Jesus taught in one of his, are you kidding me? Did Jesus really just say that parables? And that's what we want to look at today. And we're going to discover our money, our possessions is meant to be a tool. So let's dive into this wild story. Uh, Luke chapter 16, Luke chapter 16. And it says here in verse one, it says this, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man. And so here goes Jesus again. And so they all knew immediately Jesus is getting ready to make up a story to make a point. There was a rich man, and we're going to say this together. There was a rich man who's what? And I want to say this out loud. We're going to say it multiple times this morning because it's really important for the story. There's a rich man who's 
whose manager, good, was accused of wasting his possessions. So you have a rich guy, and he has so much money that he had to hire a manager who would buy and sell and trade, you know, in his name. And so the rich man finds out that his manager was doing deals, you know, on the side or was doing something wrong or dishonest. So Jesus continues, verse 2, he, the rich man, called the who? Called the? The manager in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Word on the street is you're not dealing well with my stuff. Word on the street is you're not representing me well. What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your, what's the word? Of your management. That is, get the books together, finish up what you're doing. Notice what he says, because you cannot be my manager any longer. He says, you're fired. So I need you to tidy up the loose ends, and I need you to get things in order before you leave. Now, Jesus is a master storyteller, and as he kicks off the story, you can even picture people leaning in going, this is an interesting story. I want to hear more about this story. Where's Jesus going in this? Verse 3, the manager said to himself, and notice this key word, what shall I do now? What shall I do now? In other words, I wasn't expecting this. I've been, you know, found out. I've been caught. What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. In other words, I'm an inside guy, right? I'm not a manual labor guy. I mean, these hands have been soaking in ivory liquid, right? <laughs> Raise your hand if you know the reference. Okay, a couple of you got it. And I'm ashamed to beg. I have my pride. I'm not asking for a handout. Suddenly, this guy in the parable finds himself with just a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity to figure out what is he going to do and if there's going to be anybody who can come along and help him out and take him in once he's fired. So he comes up with an idea. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 4. I know what I'll do so that when, because again, this story is all about time, a little bit of time, so that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their houses. So he comes up with this plan. He's like, okay, I got to figure something out here so that people are going to help me out, but they're going to give me a place to stay once I get fired. Now, here's his plan. Again, Jesus is telling this parable. Everybody's listening. They're like, man, I, where's Jesus headed on this one? Luke 16, verse 5. So this manager, he called in each of his master's debtors. His master probably had a lot of debtors. Jesus is going to give two illustrations. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? The man says, well, you know, I owe your master 900 gallons of olive oil. Interesting. Some translations, some NIVs say 900, some say 800. Don't know why. Just, just FYI, if yours says 800, I know it. We, can't, we actually can't figure it out. We, we've been looking at different translations. Well, I owe the master 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The, and let's just say the word again, make sure we're on the same word. The who? The, the manager told him, take your bill and sit down quickly. In other words, I'm running out of time. Hurry, 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 get in here. I need to take advantage of my limited time to make sure I have somewhere to go. So sit down quickly. Make it out for 450 instead. Now, if you're hearing this story with Jesus for the first time, or maybe some of you for the first time, or uh, you know, maybe not most of you, but, but if you're hearing this for the first time, you're going to fall on one of two sides of the equation when you just heard that. If you're somebody 
who owes somebody else money, when you hear this story, you're going to go, dude, I wish my person would cancel half of my debt, right? I mean, you'd be like, damn, that's awesome. If you're somebody who's rich or someone who owes you, you'd be hearing this story going, no wonder the guy's getting fired. I mean, this guy's lousy at handling the money. So the guy only has to pay 450, half the amount. He's like, man, this is amazing. Thank you. If you ever need anything, give me a call. You know, I just might have to do that. Jesus continues, verse 7. Then he asks the second, how much do you owe my master? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800. The debtor's like, sweet, thanks. If I can ever do anything for you, let me know. And he's like, oh, sooner than you think, sooner than you think. The implication is that this manager did this over and over with the, with the owner's various uh, debtors that were out there. And because of verse 5, it's letting us know that he went to settle the accounts by basically giving these huge discounts. So you, me, and the people listening in Jesus' audience assume something. This dishonest money manager... It's just going to get, you know, he's going to be laid into. He's about to get into big trouble. But notice what Jesus says. Verse 8. The master commended the dishonest money manager because he acted shrewdly. He commended him. He high-fived him. Wait, wait. You're not mad at me? You know, I, I can't be too mad because that was pretty shrewd. I mean, that's pretty impressive. You had a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity so that you could secure for yourself your future. That's pretty smart. That's brilliant. Don't miss this. The owner is impressed because the manager thought it through with his own future in mind. He realized he had a limited opportunity and he realized he had a limited amount of time. But Jesus' audience at this point is confused. So now Jesus, again, master storyteller, he has the people right where he wants them. If you're tracking the story, you know, you're kind of like, oh man, this is, where's this headed? And here's what Jesus then do. He pulls out of the parable, and now Jesus begins to teach the lesson that he wants his audience to learn from this parable. And here's the big kind of big idea that, that Jesus will then unpack through the remainder of this, of this chapter. And the big idea is really simply this, is that the way that God views our money, the Benjamins, our wealth, what it represents, our possessions, the way God views it is different than the way we view it. Big idea. God, you need to understand, God views this thing way different than we do. And so Jesus is going to give us the lesson, the takeaway, the application of this unjust, dishonest money manager. So let's start to unpack that a little bit and peel it back. Look at verse 8, Luke chapter 16, verse 8. He says, here it goes, for the people of this world, that means people who don't believe in God, who don't follow God, the people of this world are more shrewd. In other words, they're more forward-thinking. They're more thoughtful. They think things through better. They're more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. That's, that's us. That's people who believe in God. Jesus is look, Think about this. Jesus is looking at people like you and me, people who believe in God. And he says, do you realize? You realize that the people of this world who think that 
all that there is to life is right here and right now, people who don't ever make decisions in light of eternity and light of heaven, that they're way more shrewd than you and I, who believe in God, who know there's more to this life than just what's right here in front of us. Those people are more wise than us. He's saying the people in the world, they understand sometimes better than those of us who should know better because we think in light of eternity. The money manager, for for some of you who might travel this path, it might only be a handful of you, but just thought I'd say it. If anybody's thinking this morning that the money manager was commended for being dishonest, you missed it. He's not being commended for being dishonest. He was applauded for taking full advantage of his limited time and his limited opportunity that he had left. So Jesus' point to you and I is we're to do the same. We're to do the same, that when it comes to our money, that when it comes to our possessions, when it comes to the Benjamins, when it comes to our income, we are to view it within the context, not simply of this life, but in the broader context, in the, in the eternal context. We are to ask the question, how? How do I get the maximum use out of the Benjamins? How do I get maximum use out of my money, out of my possessions? How do I get the maximum use out of that with the limited time I have on this planet and the limited opportunities that come my way? You see, that's the question we need to ask ourselves. How do I do it? How do I maximize it? How do I leverage it? with the limited time and limited opportunity I have here, because I understand there's more to this life than just right here on this planet. Now, Jesus isn't finished yet, and he's going to tell us what maximizing the use of our money and our possessions, what that looks like. And so Jesus, it's like Jesus leans in. Again, he's telling the story, and people are are paying attention. And in verse 9, Luke 16, verse 9, he says this, I tell you, in other words, pay attention. This is no longer just, you know, a story, a parable. I tell you, here's the command. I tell you, use, now why the word use? Because remember, it means to an end, use worldly wealth. This is a command. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, just like the money manager, so that when it is gone, because guess what? This will be gone, or I guess maybe more accurately will be gone one day. When it's gone, you will be, and this is so strange, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, I, I got to tell you, I can't explain this verse perfectly. But here's what I do know. I know the implication by Jesus is that there is something that you and I can do with the Benjamins. There is something that we can do with our temporary income, our temporary wealth, our temporary possessions that we have for a short time on earth that somehow makes some eternal impact, some eternal difference. In other words, according to Jesus, our money, our resources are a means, but they are not the end. It is a means, but it is not the end. It's a means to an end that goes beyond even this life. The implication is this, that this right now resource has a forever difference implication. This right now resource has a potential to make a forever difference. We've heard our whole lives at least I have, 
you can't take it with you. Right? You've heard that? You can't take it with you. You can't take this with you. But there is a way for you to have something to show for this that goes beyond this life if you view this as a means to an end. Jesus is saying your money, your stuff, your resources, your possessions, your wealth, it's meant to be a tool. In other words, the question that Jesus followers should ask, and if you're here this morning, and maybe you're visiting, maybe you're a guest, maybe it's the first time you're back in a church, and you're not a Jesus follower, and you're kind of saying, oh, you know what, I want to go to church, and you're here today for the first time, and you're like, this is exactly why I don't go to church, because all they do is talk about money. And it's not true. You just happen to pick that time. We, we do it once a year and we do a couple of weeks on it. But, but, but you're here. I would even challenge you, if you're not a Jesus follower, this principle is something that's worth considering, asking the questions and maybe just see what happens. But for those of us for sure who are Jesus followers, we should be asking, how can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that is not about me? How can I leverage more of what God has given me as a means to an end that is outside of what even benefits me? Because most of us have experienced at least once in our life. We've experienced and know that that's where true joy is found. Haven't you figured that out? Jesus said it this way in Acts chapter 20. He said, more blessings come from what? From giving than receiving. You know that in your own life. You have at least one story in your life where you were generous, where you blessed somebody else, where you gave, and what came up to you as a result of that, you were way more blessed than had you received. When Heather and I were first married, and we thought about our life together and decisions we wanted to make and habits we wanted to create in our lives, we decided that we were going to leverage what we have for the benefit of others. We just made, we made that decision that what God would give us, we would leverage as best we could for the benefit of others. And, and we said, you know, what we're going to start with where, where it seems scripture talks about is that the first fruits, whatever God gives to us, that the first percentage of our income would go back to God in his local church, that that's where we would start. And then above that, we would try to be generous as opportunities came our way and presented themselves. And above that, that consistent, regular percentage giving that we did, opportunities came our way. Opportunities like building campaigns, missionaries who needed to be sponsored, children who needed to be pulled out of extreme poverty, neighbors who needed a helping hand, family members who could use this, friends who could use that. So we just decided, actually we pre-decided, if you will, ahead of time as it relates to our stuff, as it relates to our Benjamins, that since it's all God's, that we are just a, remember what's the word we started with? We are just a what? We're just a manager that we were going to pick a percentage and we would give that away. Now in our story, it may not be your story, but I can tell you this, that is the reality because of that, because we started there. That I believe, looking back, you'll have to ask Heather if she thinks the same, but I believe that that opened us up to really realize it's all God's. And that's what opened us up and enabled us to respond to needs that came after that, to use our money and our stuff for the benefit of others. And here's what happened over time. 
because we chose to do that. We chose to try to be good managers. The stuff we had, that turned into stories. The stuff we had turned into stories. And the great thing is, when I look back and I think about the stuff and the things we've done and this and that, I look back and I go, I don't miss the stuff. And I'm sure glad I have these stories. Because these stories are, are emotional to me. There's something I get excited about to this day. They mean so much to me. Here's something I think about from time to time. It's not a regular thing, but I actually do it as a discipline every once in a while to pause and praise God as I try to be a steward of my time, talent, and treasure. I encourage you to do this as well, to pause and think about, okay, God, here's ways I'm trying to be a steward. And every once in a while, I think about being a steward of the treasure God has given me. So I'll pause and I'll think about the, you know, at this point, tens of thousands of dollars that, by God's grace, we've been able to give to God through the local church. But when I think about that, I don't think about that and go, wow, look at that. You know what I think about? I praise God by doing that. I think about you. I think about the conversations I've had with you. I think about your stories, the marriages that have been reconciled or restored. I think about the, the, the relationships that have grown. I think about, in fact, I was just sitting there uh, before I came up and I was looking at uh, pictures, I, I should have put them up, of people being baptized and some of those stories and just celebrating and praising God. I think about looking through those pictures and man, we built that church so, so a church can be established in Pasadena and a church can be established in, in Mexico and, and someone got a home who didn't have a home. And I think about the homeless in our community who we house and the stories that have come out of that and the, and the kids who, who get, um, you know, get shoes in our community and how we've partnered with a, with a um, special needs school here in town and the, those conversations and those stories. I start thinking about all of that, and I think, wow, we're a little part of those stories, that we get to celebrate and share those, because we joined in, we participated, and I wouldn't trade the money that we've given to God, the possessions, the things we've blessed others with, I wouldn't trade any of that for more stuff. Because I know the stories of life transformation and life change that have happened. I mean, how do you compare stuff that's so temporary with all the stories? And so God is inviting you to ask this question. And I hope it'll just, you'll just start dwelling on this this week. I pray the Holy Spirit just brings us back to you. In fact, I pray the Holy Spirit brings us back to you at 3 o'clock in the morning. And you wake up and you start thinking of it. And then you can text me and say, thanks for nothing, Pastor. And I want you to think of this question. Do I want more stuff or do I want more stories? Do I want more stuff or do I want more stories? Do I want more possessions that are temporary or do I want more stories? And let me just give you a little tip. Nobody's going to talk about your stuff in the end. That's not what's going to happen. You know what they're going to do when your end comes? They're going to tell stories. So do you want more stuff or do you want more stories? And I can tell you this. If you land on the side of the equation that says, I want more stories, 
I can tell you that when that begins to factor into your decision-making in life, that will be what finally frees you up to be more the person you know you want to be anyway. Jesus' point is simply this. Money can add meaning to your life when you use your resources as a means to an end that goes beyond you or beyond me, when we view it as a tool to make a bigger impact than just on our lives. Okay, Jesus isn't finished here. And in fact, the next part gets really fascinating. So we got to get to this. He continues and and they're leaning in because they're hearing this story and they're like, oh my goodness, this is is just an amazing story. Verse 10, Luke chapter 16. Jesus goes on and, and keeps going on. Hey, God views money different than we do. Verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And I know we like that as a principle verse, but keep in mind, remember, Jesus is talking about money and possessions. That's the context of that verse. So what is he talking about? He keeps going. Verse 11. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling, notice what he brings up, just to be clear of what Jesus is talking about. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Or another translation says, who will trust true riches with you? Or who will trust true riches to you? Jesus' point is simply this, that no matter how much you have of this, no matter how much you have, no matter even ultimately where you even think it comes from, your money, your wealth, your possessions, the Benjamins. It's not only a means to an end. It's not only a tool, but Jesus is saying it's also a test. You having this is a test. It's like the manager in the parable. We have a little bit of money. We have a little bit of resources for a short amount of time. And we are being tested. And we are, trying, we, are, we are being tested, if you will, to determine whose kingdom are we most devoted to. Our own kingdom or our temporary kingdom or the eternal kingdom of God. Are we more devoted to the temporary or to the eternal? It's a test. Jesus goes on and he says in verse 12, and this is a for me, it's almost the key verse. He kind of like, again, I just wish we could dissect this for weeks and weeks, but, but he's letting us know. He's given us everything in this, in this chapter. Verse 12, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property. To which we're like, whoa, whoa, time out, Jesus. Time out. What are you talking about? I'm not a money manager. This is mine. I earned it. I worked hard. I got a smart brain. I'm shrewd. I figured out how to get that job. I work 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. This is mine. I earned it. Mine, 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 mine. My paycheck, my money, my deed to my house, my title to my car. It's mine. Not according to Jesus. If you have not been trustworthy with handling someone else's property. Because remember, what are we? We are a manager. 
we haven't been trustworthy with handling someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? To which some of us are like, okay, Jesus, you really did lose me at this point. But if our money could talk, if the Benjamins could talk to us, they would confirm what Jesus has been saying. And Ben would say to you and I, I'll still be here when you're all gone. I'll still be here. And so the moment you think you own me, (laughs) I actually own you. Because just like the guy in the parable, we are in fact, let's say it one more time, we are in fact managers. We're not owners. And one of the practical ways you know you're not an owner is that when you die, you don't get to take it with you. Therefore, you're just managing it. So if you're not an owner, if you're a manager, the question becomes that you have to ask, who are you managing it for? Am I managing it for me? Or am I managing it for somebody else? Am I managing it for me? Or am I managing it for somebody else? Am I managing it for me? Or for my heavenly Father? Jesus would say, manage well, don't get confused because I've given it to you for a limited amount of time and you will have a limited amount of opportunity. So leverage it, leverage it in such a way so that our Heavenly Father can use it to build and move people into his kingdom so that this temporary stuff, it actually makes an eternal difference. So let's wrap it up. Where do we start? As we move into this week, the place to start is with the bigger question that most of us, we just don't stop to ask. And so we don't really have the answer for it. But here's the question. If being a means to an end is what actually gives your life and my life meaning and purpose, to what ends do you want your life to be a means? To what ends do you want your life to be a means? To say it another way, to what ends do you want your money and your possessions to be a means? Let me say it or ask it another way. What do you want people to celebrate when you're gone? When you get to that point, What stories do you want them to say about you and to share about you? To what ends do you want your life to be a means? I think a lot of us are thinking about that right now in light of the recent helicopter crash. Kobe Bryant and eight or nine other people. My my stepdad just actually performed the memorial for the lady and her daughter. And people were there sharing stories. To what ends do you want your life to be a means? I already know this. You know it in here because you know what Ben would say to you. It's not about accumulation. It's not about consumption. It's not about upgrades. It's not about a house full of stuff. It's not about those things. They're just temporary. They don't last. You know down deep they aren't fulfilling. We want to try. We want to figure it out for ourselves, but we know they're not fulfilling. You see, you don't want people at your service your memorial service at your funeral, standing up saying, well, they had an 85-inch TV. (laughs) And then walk off stage. They had four cars. Someone near me and where I live, family of two, four vehicles. They have a beautiful house that no one's ever seen or been inside of. They have a motorhome. They have this. They have that. They have these vacations. They have all this. What do you want? You want real stories. Man, he was so generous. Man, she was so giving. 
Man, that couple, every single year, they took their giant van and they drove kids up to camp to save the church money and to help the kids' costs be cheaper for camp. They drove them up. They picked them up on the way back. Man, that couple, they opened their home constantly to people. Life groups, small groups, friends, somebody needed a place to stay or to live. Man, they didn't go to Mexico, but they always sponsored somebody to make sure somebody who could go, who wanted to go. They changed the lives of other people in other communities around the world and pulled kids out of extreme poverty because they gave a gift every single month so that kid could have a future. Man, that, that they would buy plane tickets for people. I remember one time someone had a memorial service across the country, but they didn't have the money. And, so, and they went, that couple, they went and they paid for that flight so that they could go. Man, I remember they helped that young couple who didn't have two pennies to rub together, and they helped them out, and they were on like the fourth, you know, round of somebody's used washer and dryer that just blew up, and man, they went and took them down to Best Buy, and they bought them brand new washer and dryer. They were just generous. What do you want people to share about you? What stories do you want them to share? So this week, I just want you to wrestle with this. I want you to wrestle with the question, if being a means to an end is what actually gives your life meaning and purpose, to what ends do you want your life to be a means? To what ends do you want your life, your money, your possessions to be a means? And I can tell you this, when you identify it and you embrace the answer to that question, your money will finally, finally begin to follow you. Because you will finally begin to view everything that comes your way. Money, time, talent, possessions, everything. You'll view it as a means to an end as it is intended to be. Because here's what it comes down to. You've got a little bit of time. You've got a little bit of opportunity. So what are you going to do with it? The Benjamins would say it's a tool. The Benjamins would say you don't have a lot of time. You don't have a lot of opportunity. So leverage me for the sake of something that's not temporary. Leverage me for something that has eternal value, eternal consequences. That's how you be the money manager that God created you to be, that he's entrusted it to you. So use it for something that goes beyond you, that has eternal value. Let's pray about that. God, there's some people in this room who've been at LifePoint or other churches for years and years and years, and they just squirm every time this topic comes up in some way, shape, or form. They get frustrated, or they get angry, or they get upset, or they, they miss it. God, I'm thinking about a person who just talked to me after last service who said, you know, I've read the Bible, but I've, just, I've never realized this parable. And God, they were excited to reevaluate their life. And so, God, I really do pray for those who hear, God, it's hard for them to hear this topic, that today you broke through. You're the miracle worker whose hearts were open to you that they finally, finally realized they're managers, not owners. And so, God, help them in this journey this week to figure what that looks like for them. 
how they can use what you've given to them as a tool, that they could be a good manager, that they use some of that, it's all yours, but they use that to advance things that are beyond themselves. So God, help them in that journey. God, for those of us who we're not perfect in this, but you've been showing us this and we want to just keep being more, a better manager. God, for those of us maybe on that side of the pendulum, God, I pray you just keep stirring us more because you've proven to us, you provide, you take care of us. You've already, you're a promise keeper. And so God, uh, I, I at least stand up here today, Lord, and say to you, God, I want to keep being more generous. I really do. God, I want there to be more and more stories. So God, help me to think of myself less and think more of your kingdom. So keep using me, God, to make a difference in the lives of others. And I pray that prayer for anybody here, God, who says they want to be used by you. So God, hear, the, hear our heart, hear our prayer. This is what I pray for in Jesus' name. Amen.